Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel, the ninth chapter. While you're turning there, I just want to say, first off, thank you, Brother Mark, for being here with us today. Brother John is away from us. He has gone to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, he and his wife, to be at a music conference this week. They'll be back with us at week's end and uh, here with us next Sunday and then back to Arkansas to meet a moving truck and make their final arrival here with us. So we're excited about that, getting them finally on the ground and in home. Um, But so thankful Brother Mark was able to come and, and assist us today. And I also want to take a moment and just simply say this. For those of you who don't know, um, I am one of the most blessed pastors in the country. This congregation just blesses my socks off. And this past week was just a reminder to me day by day as I watched our people come in and love children and share Jesus with children and show Jesus to our children. And, you know, I I hear the reports from other pastors and other places and people are saying we can't get enough people to do our VBS and we have plenty and more than plenty and we are so grateful for everyone who volunteers of their time and their energy and their talent to make that happen because, you know what, sometimes you you find yourself and I know, listen, I tested the adults in my church when I was a kid. I tested them mightily. And, and I have had some of them later in, in my life and certainly later in their lives. Many of them have gone on to be with the Lord now, but who looked at me and shook their heads and said, I never would have imagined that God could actually use you. <laughs> but he is, and we're thankful that we were part of that. I want you to know that I, I understand sometimes we may have children that test us. But we have no idea what God has planned for them. And I am so thankful for people who will invest in children, even the difficult ones, and see what God is up to. Because he does amazing things with people who are willing. And I just want you to know, I love being part of this congregation. I love where God has brought me. I love what God is doing. And I can't wait to see what lies ahead of us. Well, if you've got your Bible open to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to continue in the book of Daniel this morning. And I'm just going to tell you, don't close it. After we've had our scripture reading, don't close it because we are literally going to take these verses apart this morning. I've told you this before. If you think you're a biblical scholar, just spend a little bit of time grappling with Daniel. You'll find yourself doubting your abilities, your knowledge. I mean, it is challenging, folks. And this morning, we're going to move into chapter 9 and see how Daniel poured himself into his prayer life. He was pleading with God on his own behalf, but also on behalf of the nation of Israel. And I think that as we approach the day in which we are going to celebrate the birth of our nation about a week and a half from now, it's good for us to look and see how do you pray for A nation, not just for yourself, not just for your family, not just for your community, but for your nation. There was a 17th century Puritan by the name of John Owen, who in his writings penned these words, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Now, if Owen is correct, then I'm just going to tell you, Daniel was an amazing man, even to the point that I'm going to tell you, God was impressed with Daniel. 
And I, you can't say that about very many people. And we're not going to get to it this morning. We'll hit it next Sunday morning or, or the week after that. I'm not sure where it falls now exactly because everything's running together after Bible school. But in verse 23 of chapter 9, which we're not going to get to today, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, was talking to Daniel about his relationship with God. And he told Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Daniel, God is impressed with you. Listen, if God is impressed with you, you're impressive. All right? So this morning, as, as we approach these verses, I want us to pay attention to Daniel's prayer. In order to do that, we need to understand where it came from, what his prayer was about, and where his prayer concluded. And it's all going to happen right here in these verses. So if you've got your Bible open to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to begin at verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 19. I know it's a lengthy reading. If you are uncomfortable standing that long, please know that I am not in any way twisting your arm. But for those who can and will, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father and the reading of His holy and inspired word this morning. Follow along with me, if you will. In the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we have not obeyed him. 
Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act for your sake, oh, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Hear the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we allow your words to soak into our hearts and minds, I pray that you would open us up. that you would fill us, that you would break our hearts for sin, even as you bless our hearts with your holiness. Father, today, plant into us your truth. Help us to embrace it, to live it, and to allow it to alter the course of our lives our futures, our every action. And now, Holy Spirit, I invite you, convict of sin. Convince us of the hope that is found only in the Savior. And draw us close to you. That we might walk in your ways and bring glory and honor to your name. For we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I found myself at the beginning of this chapter wondering how in the world do you break this down? How do you do anything with this? But you know, as I read this chapter repeatedly, I found myself understanding that when God's people individually or corporately dig into the Word of God, that the Lord begins to reveal Himself, and He begins to help us see His ways of doing things. And when we discover God's will, and when we discover God's plans, it changes how we see the world. That became the passion of this man, Daniel, to understand what God was about, what God was doing. And I I asked you at the beginning, and I ask you again, if you have closed your Bible, open it back to Daniel chapter 9. If you've not, then keep it ready and be ready to look, and let's start looking right now. I want you to see what Daniel said, because this is the beginning point of everything. What he said in verses 2 through 4, he says, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord. His prayer begins with his study of the message of God. 
If you want to learn how to talk to God, you first need to learn how to listen to God. It's not just about rubbing a magic lamp and having a genie pop out and say, I hear what you want, I'm going to grant your wishes. It's not like that at all. God is the creator of all things. He has given us a revelation of himself. He has given us a knowledge of his ways, his plans, his, 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 his destiny for all of mankind through his written word. If you want to know what God is about, get into the word. That's where it's at. And that's where it begins for Daniel. And he says in verse 3, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. After he had studied the prophecy, after he had studied the word of God, he begins to pray. And when, look at what he says in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. That's where his prayer began. Confession. Because as he studied the word of God, he began to understand who God is and who he is. Now, let me back us up, and let's just kind of run at this thing. Can we do that? I love bouncing off of walls. So let's bounce off of this wall together if we can this morning. If you want to draw near to God, if you want to understand His ways, if you want to know what it is that He is about, you must first comprehend the source and practice of prayer. Prayer should flow from our time in the Word of God. As we begin to hear His Word and hear Him speak through His Word to us, it should draw us into a conversation with God. Daniel starts off this chapter telling us when it was. It was in the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, Darius is the same king who came to be known as Cyrus the Great. The first year of his reign was 538 B.C. So this is approximately 12 years after the vision recorded in chapter 8 that we looked at last week. The years were passing. They were piling up. Daniel's not a young man anymore. He's not that kid who came in the captivity. He's not that young man who challenged the dietary laws. He's not that young man who refused to change his practices of prayer and religious worship. He's not the same young man who ran with those other three guys who walked through the fire. No, he's not that guy anymore. Now Daniel is probably on the other side of 80. The hair has grayed, or perhaps fallen out. He is now respected highly in the kingdom because his gifts and his talents and his wisdom have been witnessed and seen through the course of decades. And he is a man who is just and trustworthy. Remember what I said last week, guys? You're never too old. Even over 80 years old, Daniel was not too old to learn. He got into the Word. He began to study the words of the prophets. And the Spirit of God gave him understanding of the scriptural prophecies written by the prophet Jeremiah regarding the desolation of Jerusalem that would last for 70 years. And what Daniel came to understand, what he saw as he studied the Word of God, led him into a time of intense, fervent prayer. Listen, it was intense. You read this prayer. You want to know what, what fervent prayer looks like? It's right here. We read it together, but, but look at these verses. Let me kind of break this down a little bit. We're going to do this a couple of times through, so you're going to get a whole lot out of these verses if you'll stay there, all right? 
The, the first thing I want you to do is, is just look at it and let's break it into three pieces and say, first off, the focus. Look at the focus of the prayer. In verse 3, he says, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I turned to the Lord God. You want to know what the focus of prayer is? It's God. It's not us. It's not our situation. It's not our needs. It's not our wants. It's God. It's who he is. It's what he is about. And then he begins his time of confession. And you want to talk about a contrast being painted. I prayed to the Lord my God, verses 4 and 5. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Man, I'm telling you what, this God's pretty awesome, isn't he? He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He gives his word. He keeps his word. He says he will do. He carries out. And then Daniel turns a corner. He says, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. So we see the contrast between God and between man. And here is what I want us to see this morning as much or more than anything else. And that is the acceptance of guilt in sin. It's ours. It's nobody else's. It's ours. Verse 6, he says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Look at that verse. We. We have not listened. He didn't say, these people. He didn't say, you all. He didn't even say, y'all. He said, we have not listened. Now, I want you to understand, because there's something we've got to grapple with and grasp. There is a sense of corporate national identity that you and I need to learn to buy into. All right? I am not politically correct. I have never claimed to be politically correct. I will not ever claim to be, nor will I ever try to be politically correct. So let's just throw that all out the door before I say what I'm about to say so that you don't get mad at me, all right? God is not concerned with the pigment of your skin. So here's a reality. We need to quit talking about African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, European-American. We need to start talking about being Americans. We are a people. We are a nation. I want you to understand that in the nation of Israel, among the Hebrew people, there are people with varying pigmentations of skin. It doesn't change who they are. They are Israel. The fact that we are Americans, it has not changed what we are by the pigmentation of our skin. We are Americans, no matter what color our skin might present itself to the eyeballs of those who look at us. Therefore, there is a corporate identity. And that's what Daniel is addressing when he says, we have sinned. Now, I want you to understand something with me, brothers and sisters, this morning. We have sinned. As American people, we have sinned just as much as Israel had sinned. We have sinned. And I know that some people sit and, and listen to a preacher say that and say, well, that's true. Those people out there. No. It's corporate. 
Even if you say, but I'm, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm a good person, I follow the word of God, I obey, it doesn't matter. We are all identified together and if God decides to judge a land because of its wickedness, wickedness, understand that the just will suffer along with the unjust, the righteous with the unrighteous, the good with the bad, all will fall under the same judgment. Don't think for a moment that there are no good people in America. I believe with all my heart that God has a glorious church in America. I also know there are a lot of people who are deeply deceived in America who think they are a glorious church when they have sold their birthright to fit in with the culture and go along with the new norm. And there are those in America who have nothing to do with the church and have said there is no God, by which case they have already defined themselves because the Word of God says that a fool says in his heart there is no God. So we have Christians, we have those who think they are Christians, and we have fools. But the reality is this, when God's judgment falls on a people, it falls on all of the people. We are that people. We all have sinned. We have stopped listening. We have turned our hearts and our minds. No one is at fault but ourselves. And I want you to understand that our sin is serious. Every sin is serious. Don't buy into this nonsense the culture wants to give you about little white lies or big sins versus little sins. Jesus died for sin. Big, little, white, black, it's all serious. And as you pray, as Daniel was praying, he began to realize that serious prayer reveals the seriousness of sin. And if you've ever been engaged in a serious, intense, fervent time of prayer, you begin to get an overwhelming sense of your sinfulness as the Spirit of God begins to speak and work in your heart. If you don't, you're not really seriously, fervently praying. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Spending time with God opens our eyes, as it were. When Daniel did this, he verbalized with his lips what he knew to be true in his mind. And, and when we begin to do that, it can be devastating. It, it makes us back up and look in the mirror and see ourselves and say, oh, my word. Look at who I am. Look at what I've become. Look at what I say. Look at how I act. Look at what I do. Our sinfulness becomes more and more evident as we spend more and more time in the presence of God. I think that's why a lot of people have chosen just not to spend time in the presence of God. <laughs> it's easier to just not know than it is to know because to know means that we either have to embrace who we are or we have to embrace the call to change. I want you to look with me and see what Daniel realized as he prayed. Got your Bible in hand? You're going to need it right here, folks. Because we are fixing to do a quick dissection, all right? I want you first to look at me. We're going to look at, at the prayer. We are going to look at this prayer. We're going to go through verses 7 through 16. And we're going to go through them three times. All right? And the reason we're doing this is because I want us to see three different things. First, I want us to see what Daniel recognized about the character of God. And I'm just going to run through these, so you've got you to go fast with me, okay? Verse 7, 
He says, Lord, you are righteous. Friend, understand something. There are none of us who are righteous. There is none righteous. No, not even one. No, but Lord, you are. You're the righteous one. Verse 8, he says, oh Lord, we have sinned against you. But there's hope. There's hope even in our sin. There is hope because in verse 9 he says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. But if man will not repent, if he will not turn from his sin, he faces the wrath of God. In verse 12, Daniel says, you have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers. What you said you would do if we did not turn from our sin, you have done. Verse 14, you do it and you do it with a clear conscience because you're God and you're righteous and you're holy. He says in verse 14, the Lord did not hesitate. The Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Who is this God? Verse 15, Daniel says, Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made for yourself a name that endures to this day. You are the mighty God who moves nations. You bring them in and you bring them out. You put them in bondage and you set them free. You are that mighty God. In verse 16, he says, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. I'm pleading with you, God. Oh, listen, Daniel was beginning to understand truly the character of God. Can I just tell you something? I know we learn things as children. We learn things in Bible school. We learn things in Sunday school. We learn things in kids' worship. We learn things when we sit together like this in worship. But I think that the older we get, the more we begin to truly understand all the things that we learned as children. I learned whenever I was a child that God is holy. Not only is He holy, but according to to Isaiah chapter 6, He is holy, holy, holy. Why? Because He is the triune God. He is Father who is holy. He is Son who is holy. He is Spirit of God who is holy so when we sing holy 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 in my mind I, I I I'm imagining the triune God I learned that as a child I'm gonna tell you something makes a whole lot more sense to me today than it did then I knew that God was righteous and I knew that what God said God would do I understood that God is a God who always carries out his words and keeps his promises I knew all of that I learned that as a child but I understand that a whole lot better today than I did back then Daniel is now over 80 years old and his understanding of the character of God is at a place where it's never been before. If we're growing in the Lord, it continues to develop. And the older we get, the more we truly begin to understand and to embrace. And, and, and this is the reason why it's important for those who have some experience in life to not leave the church, but rather to be engaged so that we can pass on what we've learned, so that others can come behind and continue to learn. This is the reason that, that old David said, look, I've been young and now I'm older. But here's what I've learned. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. He couldn't have said that when he was a young man. But after life experience, he could look back and he could say, let me share with you what I've learned. I was young, now I'm old. Here's the lesson. 
That's what Daniel's doing here. Here's what I've learned about the character of God. Oh, but let's not stop there. I told you we're going through these verses three times, so we got to keep moving or we're not going to get done, all right? Let me take you through the second time, and I want you to see what Daniel learned about the character of his people, of the nation of Israel. Same verses, but different emphasis. In verse 7, he says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame because of our unfaithfulness to you. You're righteous and holy, but we're not. We're covered with shame. We're unfaithful to you. Verse 8, he says, we have sinned against you. We've disobeyed. We've dishonored. Verse 9, we've rebelled against him. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws that he gave us. And in case you think I'm pointing the finger, I'm trying to place the blame on somebody else. In verse 11, Daniel says, all Israel has transgressed. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. When you say all Israel, Daniel was including himself. Like I said, there is this corporate sense of who we are as people. We cannot escape that. In verse 13, he makes it clear they lost their way. He says, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Verse 14, he says, the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, and yet we have not obeyed him. You see, there's something flawed in our character. Just as perfect as God's is, ours is as opposite as it can be. He is flawless and we are deeply flawed. He always keeps his word and we refuse to obey his word. Verse 15, Daniel says, we have sinned. We have done wrong. It's us. It's not you, God. It's us. In verse 16, he identifies it as our sins and the iniquities of our fathers. Put the brake on right there. Don't you think for a minute. Moms, dads, grandmothers, grandfathers, students. Don't you think for a minute that what you do and the decisions you make are not going to affect others. We have sinned the iniquities of our fathers. You see, sin takes root in a nation. Sin takes root in a family. Sin takes root in a church. And when it does, it doesn't just affect those who sin, but it affects those who follow after because they will learn the same patterns, the same habits, the same behaviors. It gets ugly. And now some of you are saying, man, we don't understand what you're talking about. Okay, wake up, smell the coffee, and look at the country you're living in. Those of you who are in excess of 30 years old right now, I want to ask you a question. Is this the same country that you grew up in? Is, are things done the same way? Do we have the same emphasis? Do we have the same priorities? Do we place the same importance on the things of God? No way. Preacher, you're fixing to start meddling. Good. You know, when I was a kid, 
We didn't have to worry about trying to make a choice between whether we were going to play on an athletic team or go to church. That wasn't a choice that had to be made. We didn't have to choose whether we were going to be involved in some type of an extracurricular activity or be faithful to God's house, God's people, go to church camp and be in Sunday school, be in worship, and be in our Wednesday evening Bible study and activity. We didn't have to make those choices. But now families are being forced to make those choices. Moms and dads choose wisely. Because I'm telling you, you make the wrong choices. You put your kids in the wrong place. There's going to be a price to pay down the road. And you're going to be calling my phone. You're going to be calling Andrew's phone. And you're going to be saying, we need help. And we're going to say, can't fix what you, what you messed up. We can't fix in an hour or two meeting what you've done over the course of the last 15 years. It doesn't work. There is a connection in all of this. We are building, we are shaping character, and we ought to be building and shaping and molding character in the image of God. We know what his character is. Daniel's laid it out for us. We know what our damaged character looks like. We need to be changing that. And if we don't, what's that going to look like? Let's get through these verses a third time, shall we? Because the third time through, as I was looking at these verses, I focused on what Daniel points out here as the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. Verse 7, he says, we are covered with shame. Man, I could park right there and preach for another hour on just those words. We are covered with shame. And then he says to his brothers and sisters, even as he addresses God, you've scattered us. They weren't living in their homeland. They didn't have access to the Temple Mount, to the temple. They had been scattered across the known world. He says, you've scattered us. Verse 8, he says, our kings, our princes, our fathers are covered with shame. Why? Because verse 11, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us. You told us what would happen. We decided to test you. You did it. Now you want to talk about good parenting. Here it is. I know you don't want to talk about good parenting, but here it is anyway. Don't tell your kids there's going to be a punishment. And then when they do the very thing you told them not to, don't mete out the punishment. God said, here are the rules. If you don't follow the rules, here's what's going to happen. They didn't follow the rules and thought, oh, he's just going to wink and say, do better next time. No, he did not. He fulfilled the promises that he had made. He brought down upon them the curses and the sworn judgments, and they were living under the consequences of their sin. Verse 12, Daniel makes this very clear. He says, you fulfilled the words spoken against us by bringing upon us great disaster. All this disaster has come upon us. All these things you said would happen, they've happened. He reiterates that again in verse 14, talking about the disaster that's come upon him. But he doesn't try to blame God. He doesn't try to blame anybody else. You get to verse 16 and he says, our sins... It's us. God, you're still just and righteous and holy in everything you do. But our sins have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn. 
when you spend time in the Word of God and in prayer with God, you become more aware of His perfection, your sin, and the result of sin. But I can't end there. Because, man, this has kind of been tough, harsh, almost negative. Don't want it to be that. So I want you to see how it ends, all right? Still got your Bible open? Haven't closed it and, and, and tuned me out yet, have you? I, I want you to finish this passage with me. I want you to see the positive side. I want you to see what happens when Daniel sets his heart on seeking a return to the Lord. Verses 17 through 19, the last verses of this. I want you to see first off the humility of the man. If you want to return to God, you must humble yourself before him. God does not deal with the pride, the proud in a merciful way. Proud people are saying, I can handle this. I can do this. I can fix this on my own. No, a humble man says, God, we're broken. The only fix is for you to do something powerful and mighty in our lives. I want you to see the humility of the man here. I love reading Daniel's prayer as he concludes. Look at verse 17. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. Not the high and mighty Daniel of Babylon. Not the man who has been put in charge of the affairs of state. Not the man who has been called second or third or fourth in command to the emperor. No, your servant. Friends, we don't need, we don't need to be rock stars in the kingdom of God. We don't need rock star leaders. We need humble servants. We need people who are willing to do whatever needs to be done, no matter whether they like it or don't like it, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it makes them feel good about themselves or not. That's irrelevant. The point is, are we serving God? Daniel says, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. And then he continues in verse 18 saying, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm important. It's not because, well, I'm Daniel and God, you've got to hear me. I'm somebody. No, it's not that at all. As Daniel prayed, he acknowledged his position as servant in relationship to God, and he admitted his unrighteousness. It's not because I'm a good man that I'm asking this of you. Then I want you to see him ask for forgiveness. Verse 17. Oh Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Your people are broken. Their nation is broken. Their place of worship and their system of worship, it's broken. How can a person ask for God's help when they've broken everything? How do you ask for God's help when you look at your life and you know you've made such a mess out of it all? I've had people ask me that before. I've had people ask me, preacher, I don't think you understand who I am, where I've been, the things I've done, the blood I have on my hands, the, the people I've led astray, the lifestyle I've chosen to live. How could God possibly 
forgive me? How could God possibly restore me? I think Daniel was wrestling with that same thing, but he, he explains how he could ask these things. Verse 18, he says, I dare to ask God's favor because of your great mercy. Not because I deserve it, but because God is so big and so merciful and so wonderful and so loving and so gracious that he can do what I would never imagine he could possibly do. I love verse 19. It's verse 19. I, I hear Daniel's heart. In verse 19, Daniel's heart and my heart beat together. Have you ever looked at your family? Have you ever looked at your community? Have you ever looked at your nation? Have you ever looked at your church? Have you ever looked at where you are and who you are and simply cried out to God, Oh Lord, listen! Oh Lord, forgive! We don't deserve it. We're not worth it. Oh, but please God, because you are holy, because you are righteous, because you are merciful, because you are gracious, oh Lord, listen and forgive. That was Daniel's heart, asking for forgiveness. If you've never been there, I want you to know that he'll hear your cry. But it may not be the reason you think. If you cry out to him and he hears your cry and he responds, don't make this mistake. Don't think for a moment it's because you are special. We're not. And Daniel reveals this to us. When God hears our cries and answers our prayers, we receive the blessing, but it's done for His honor and His glory. Daniel knew that when the things, the, the places, the people that belong to the Lord are shamed. It brings shame upon the name of God. Just, just the same as, as today. When a church or a denomination takes an action that is absolutely contrary to what the Word of God teaches, it brings shame on the name of God. Whenever a minister or leadership in a congregation falls into some immorality, some sin, some whatever, it brings shame on the name of Christ. Daniel understood that. What happens in our lives, what happens in our community, it, it impacts the name of God. In verses 17 and 18, Daniel was praying, he said, For your sake, O Lord... Not for mine, not for ours, not for this people, but for your sake, O oh Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O oh God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. Then in verse 19, he cries out, hear and act. Hear and act, O oh God, for your sake, O oh my God. Do not delay. 
Because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel understood, as long as Israel is looked upon as a nation that is a pariah, the name of God will be dishonored. As long as the city of God is in ruins, the name of God will be dishonored. As long as the Temple Mount is inaccessible, the name of God will be dishonored. As long as worship in the temple does not occur as prescribed by God for God's people on the appropriate calendar timing, God's name will be dishonored. And I know some of you all are probably listening to me and you're thinking, big deal. It is. It is. In our egotistical way of living life, in our egotistical way of, of thinking and praying and living, we tend to believe that all things are all about us. And too often our prayer lives reflect that. And the decisions that we make about how to live life reflect that. Here's the truth of the matter, brothers and sisters. It is not all about us. It is all about Him. It's about His glory. It's about His honor. We have been created and we have been nurtured and we have been brought along. We exist to bring Him glory and honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. To the point that in this life we are here to glory and honor Him and we will be taken to the next life so that we can gather before the throne. And do you know what we're going to do? We are going to bring Him glory and honor forever and ever. Oh, listen to me, friends. Honest, God-honoring prayer, humble prayer can change so many things and correct so many wrongs. When we get into the Word of God and allow it to speak to our hearts and then we begin to, to have that conversation with God and, and see ourselves the way that He sees us, it brings an awareness of our sins. It, it revives and renews our relationship with our Master. It impacts our communities because it opens our eyes to the brokenness and the needs that are all around us. And I just... I want you to understand this morning, God is looking for people who will dare to be Daniels in their prayer lives. He's looking for people who will respond, who will turn loose of everything, who will stop holding back, who will surrender their all to the Master. And today, today if you'll do that, can be a day of new beginnings. And I have one short question for you, and I'm through. Why wait? Why wait? Do we have to let the wheels fall completely off the cart? Do we as a nation have to go completely into the ditch? Do we have to watch our families and our homes dissolve into dust? Why wait? The time is now for God's people to lead the way. The time is now. This is the day of salvation.
This is the moment to respond to God's call. This is the time to repent of sin and turn back to pursuing God with all of our hearts, obeying His Word, following His commands, living out His precepts. Today is the day. This is the moment. Why wait? Let's bow our heads together. Why wait? Why wait? All around us is brokenness, chaos, failure. And it all goes back to a people who've chosen to live life their own way instead of according to God's way. It's the same thing Daniel saw. We see it today. The question is, will people change their hearts? Will they allow the Spirit of God to speak to them, to change them, to challenge them, to call them, to direct them in a new path? Would you allow that today in your life, in your heart, in your head? Maybe he's spoken to you this morning. I don't know what it might be. I don't know what it is you're struggling with. I don't know if you need a relationship with the Lord. You can have that today. I want you to know that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. That's why his son Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life and took our sin on himself. He he had no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin on himself when he went to the cross and he paid the price for us. So that we could be forgiven, cleansed, and have new life. Today, you can experience that. Maybe you don't know. If you come in a moment when we begin to sing, just take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that. I want that relationship. I want that new life. Won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to share with you how you can become a child of God today. Maybe there's something in your life, something in your heart, something in your home. Something that's been eating at you, and today the Spirit of God's pointing at it, put his finger on it, and said, Here it is. This is the problem. Would you let him address that in your life today? Why wait? Maybe you just came in here looking for a, a church home, a place where you can worship and serve and be served. God brought you here. This is where you know you're supposed to be. Become a part of this body. I invite you to. But again, why wait? Indeed, why wait? God calls. I hope you'll respond. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. (laughs) How challenging it is. But it reveals to us the truth. The truth of who you are, the truth of who we have become. And yet it does not leave us destitute. It does not leave us desolate. It does not leave us desecrated. It does not leave us forsaken. But rather it reveals to us that you have a plan. A plan to restore. A plan to give new life. To give hope. Father, I pray today that across this room hearts are open right now listening They've heard your word, and now, Father, I pray that your spirit would just scream into them and draw them to the place where they need to be to to do what needs to be done this day. Father, your, your word is true. Your spirit seeks and calls. The invitation 
comes from you. But still, we have to decide. Take a step and follow the Lord or stand where we are and perish in our foolish pride. Father, today you're calling. I pray that we would hear and take that step to follow you. Have your way in our lives, Father, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.